Hmm. Oh my. Hello, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kyle Rosdahl. Thanks for joining us, everybody. It is Monday today, July the 10th. Okay, we are going to do some news and then some smiles. But first of all, how was China? It was it was amazeballs. It was crazy. I'll, I'll get to this. Well, I guess we'll just turn this into my news fix, right? Because honestly, that's what I had put in the rundown. I just put China. So uh, first of all, thank you for doing all the heavy lifting or most of the heavy lifting anyway when I was out last week. Um, we, had, we Marketplace had the opportunity to go to China on Secretary Yellen's plane uh, for her first meetings with her, the new Chinese economic team in Beijing. Left on Wednesday, got there Thursday afternoon, spent two and a half days on the ground, and then turned around and spent a day and a half coming back because that's the way travel goes to the other side of the planet. Yeah, it's a little rough. I really don't know which which end is up. Um, but it was really cool. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool for two reasons. One is it was cool just to travel with the secretary and see what that's like from the inside, the whole press pool thing, what it's like to uh, see the top of her meetings and how that goes. And I think, actually, if you listen to Marketplace this afternoon, the interview I did with Secretary Yellen at the end of the visit You'll hear a little first person. This is what I saw while you were speaking, uh, uh, Madam Secretary, and, and the Chinese didn't look so pleased. So that was kind of cool. But also, <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was really interesting. But but also the deal is this, right? Things are tense now between the Chinese and the Americans. They're economically tense. They're geopolitically tense. And Yellen went over there as um, first of all as the Secretary of the Treasury, but also. You know, the Chinese, they like her and they trust her much more, I think, than they trust Secretary Secretary Blinken and much more than they know Secretary Blinken, who was there a week ago. I mean, look, Yellen's been coming there, going there, rather, um, since the 90s as an academic and then as a member of the Fed and then the Fed chair, right? She's had a lot of interactions with, with Chinese economic leadership. And now there has been a change at the top. There's a new guy in her counterpart position. Um, and uh-huh. so they spent five and a half hours, their teams did, in a meeting that was scheduled to last for two. Um, wow. She is painting it as a very get-to-know-you meeting, no substantive breakthrough, but really good um, uh, familiarization, which, you know, I take her at her word. Um, but, you know, it's the first step in a long road to to um, realigning uh, the U.S.-Chinese relationship and getting it back to where they sort of trust each other because right now they kind of don't, and that's really a challenge. But anyway, so that was a trip. It was cool. Uh, it airs uh, it. Our interview with Secretary mm-hmm. Yellen airs tonight on Marketplace, and we also, mm-hmm. I also had a chance to walk around with our Shanghai horseman, Jennifer Pack. She got on a train and, and came up. Actually, she was in Chengdu, so she got on a plane and mm-hmm. came from Chengdu, um, and we walked around my own neighborhood of Beijing and had a walk and talk. And, and look, Jennifer's great, and she knows so much. She's been there a really long time, and, and I think people will learn stuff tonight. How nostalgic was it to be back in mm. your old stomping grounds? Su- super nostalgic. So look, the first time I went over there was with the Foreign Service in, in 1995. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously that is now almost 30 years, which is a very long time. Um, and, and this is sort of the theme of the coverage that we're doing this afternoon, or did, depending on when you hear this, is is the pace of change in that country. I mean, look, every place changes, right? The United States changes, Washington, D.C. changes, L.A. changes. We all change. But the speed at which that economy has, has transformed is kind of amazing. Um, so there is a little nostalgia. There's a little false romanticism for the way things used to be. But there's also a whole lot of man, this is really interesting, and this country is going places. And I think that'll come through tonight. 
Can I ask you to peel back the curtain a little bit? Just, you know, I feel like folks outside of our industry don't exactly know what it takes to be able to tag along on a trip like that. So can you talk about like the work that it took to be able to make that happen? Yes. So we first saw that Secretary Yellen was going to go to China Monday of last week, a week ago. Mm-hmm. And Nancy Fargali, and look, I've interviewed Secretary Yellen a couple of times. So her folks, her her public relations or public affairs people, they know me, they know us. And so Nancy mm-hmm. Fargali, the executive producer of Marketplace, got her contact on the phone and said, hey, we want to come. And he said, hmm, okay, hang on. There was an exchange of emails, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And then Wednesday they said, okay, look, there's room on the plane for you. That is to say, there's room on the secretary's plane. And I'm sure you've seen these in news clippings, right? It's the big, it's not the 747 Air Force One, but it's a commercial 757 that's been transformed into a military aircraft. It's called a C-32, seats about 50 people. Um, And he said, there's room for two of you on the plane. Uh, And it's going to cost X amount of dollars. Uh, per mm-hmm. $4,200 per, uh, per person. Uh, and we have seats for two and we said, we'll take just, them. Just to stop you for a second. Um, we don't yeah. actually pay for the privilege of going, but no, when we go on stuff like this, right. we pay our costs just so it doesn't feel right. like they right. are paying us. Like it's a junket a- or something. Absolutely. Okay, go ahead. Absolutely. Very good point, And I appreciate that. So we said, yes, we're going to go. We swallowed hard and, and we convinced our boss and our <laughs> boss's bosses, uh, that it was a worthwhile trip for marketplace to take. Nancy and I had to do a little uh, jump through hoops to get our Chinese visas in something less than two mm. days. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, it was really, it was really interesting. Um, uh, and then we, we also had to, and this was in no small way the most difficult part of the whole thing. Um, China is very eager, very aggressive, and very technologically skilled in exploiting cyber weaknesses. And so we got on the phone with the IT department in St. Paul at our parent company, and we said, hey, we're going to China. What should we do? And they said, oh, my God, first of all, don't bring any of your personal stuff, any of it, (laughs) not your phone, not your iPad. We don't want you to bring your work computer, but if you do bring your work computer, then come see us and we'll we'll take some countermeasures. Um, And uh, buy a burner phone and get VPN and do all this other stuff. And so that's what we did. We left our personal gear here in the Marketplace Bureau in Washington. And then Mm -hmm. um, at 5 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday morning last, so on the 5th of July, we met at the Treasury Building, uh, got on a bus out to Andrews Air Force Base, uh, climbed on the uh, 707, sorry, 757, climbed on the plane, Mm -hmm. um, sat around for half an hour, and, and then Secretary Yellen pulled up in her in her uh, sort of miniature motorcade. It's a police car and, and two big Suburbans. Uh, she mm-hmm. pulled right up to the steps of the plane, walked down to the plane, and as soon as she was on, we were off. Uh, and 21 hours and change later, we landed in Beijing. Um, yeah, it's no small thing to be able to participate in one of these trips. No small thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that big fundraising yeah. drive we were doing a while back, yeah. this was for <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's why. And thank you again. Yeah, yes, please. Yeah. And thank you. Oh, boy. I'm yeah. so excited to hear it. You know, I've been on, on vacation the last couple of days, uh, like at the end of last week myself. So I only actually filled in for you on one of the days that you were gone. Oh, well, I think Rima and Amy did the other days. Um, but I, I've been kind of checked out a little bit. So I'm, I'm sort of dialing back in as well. So I'm excited to hear what yeah. you do. I saw some of the stuff on Instagram that you all were posting with Jennifer, and that looked super cool. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's just a wild, wild place. Anyway, so that's, that's what I've been doing. What, what's your news? You got news? 
Yes. Um, so I'm uh, visiting family in St. Louis right now. And uh, here, as in many places, it has been hot. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we actually had really nice weather this weekend, but everybody's been telling me how miserable it's been. And I saw this really interesting article in the Washington Post because people may have seen the headlines about how it's like hotter than it's ever been since humans started mm -hmm. tracking the weather, mm -hmm. you know, in a meaningful way. And the Washington Post has this really good explanation of how we know that and all the different ways that scientists can figure out what the temperature and weather has been over the past thousands of years. And they can be mm. pretty confident going like 2,000 years in terms of the weather. But there are some scientists are saying that it's hotter than it's been like 6,000 years ago or 125,000 years ago. So um, here's like a couple of excerpts. If any single day in the past 100,000 or 125,000 years could have been as hot as the Earth this week, which was last week, scientists said it could only have occurred about 6,000 years ago. At that time, the planet had warmed with the end of the last ice age and a period of global cooling began that would continue until the Industrial Revolution. Now then, in comparison... During So they gave some exact temperatures. But in comparison, during a record warm June last month, global temperatures averaged 1.36 degrees Celsius warmer than in 1850 to 1900, which is sort of when mm. they think it may have been close. Now, during that stretch 6,000 years ago, the warmth was largely the result of fluctuations in the Earth's orbit, which is elliptical rather than circular, while right now... Mm it's because of humans. <laughs> so hmm. um, it's it's so fascinating, very sciencey, very interesting. But, you know, we have so much misinformation about, oh, this is a normal cycle of climate change and the earth gets yeah. hotter at different periods in time. And it's like, yeah, it did get hotter 6,000 years ago, but because we were like closer to the sun at that point yeah. and a large <laughs> variety of other reasons like the, you know, end of an ice age, which is not where we are right now. So yeah. worth reading, especially if you happen to have people in your life who don't like to believe in science. Um, not oh, that man. this will convince anybody. Anywho, the other article that I was super fascinated by is in Rolling Stone, and it is unpacking the never-ending story of the amount of grift from the Paycheck Protection Program and other pandemic uh, relief yeah. programs and how the Secret Service and other government agencies are still trying to unwind all of the fraud that occurred and how not even the U.S. government knows how bad it was. And they're talking, some analysts are saying it could be up to a trillion dollars that was stolen. Yeah. And even though there are things that could be done to reclaim some of that money or at least prosecute the people who did it, politicians in here, well, not here in Washington, I'm in St. Louis, where you are in Washington, are so busy kind of pointing fingers at each other and figuring out who's to blame or caught up in the defund the IRS or defund government agencies yep. rhetoric that they literally can't get stuff over the finish line to address some of the damage. And it gets into detail about how easy it was to steal from the government, how you had teenagers posting how-to videos of how to scam the U.S. government, and wow. how some of the cybersecurity experts saw this coming, knew it was coming, and how, you know, 
cyber theft rings all over the world see the U.S. government as like one of their most lucrative targets because our infrastructure is so bad. And things like unemployment insurance, which we covered a lot about how fragile these systems were. And we were talking about how fragile they were on Marketplace because that made it hard for people who needed it to use it. But that same fragility made it super easy for criminals to exploit it. And it's really fascinating. It talks about all the warning signs that were there. People saw it coming. But on the same hand, they still had to get that money out the door quickly because it was such a crisis. And they pretty much, people in the Trump administration, Larry Kudlow specifically, was like, yeah, it's going to be open to fraud, but we got to get the money out the door and we're Mm -hmm. just going to have to take Mm -hmm. it. And uh, it's it's Mm. super interesting. So uh, highly recommend, highly recommend. All right, that's what I got. Uh, I guess we got some smiles. Shall we? Let's go. All right, I'll give you mine. After having gone L.A. to Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C. to Elmendorf Air Force Base, Elmendorf Air Force Base to Tokyo, Japan, Tokyo, Japan to Beijing, and then back the other way, I'm going home tonight. I get to sleep in my own bed. That's That's my only smile. And, and yes, I realize I'm whining a little bit and it was enormously privileged of me to be able to go, but man, I'm tired. That's all I got. No, all there's, I nothing, <laughs> there's nothing like your own bed. Look, I've spent the last three nights on a, albeit comfortable, day bed in my mother's basement. Um, yeah, I'm ready go. to get home tonight <laughs> to myself. Yeah. Fair um, although I have um, been very privileged also to, to be able to see some family for a variety of reasons. Um, so anyhow... My smile is I'm still on Women's World Cup news because I saw this great piece in the Associated Press about how the Morocco women's team is the first team in the Arab world to make it to the Women's World Cup. Oh, that's and cool. It's this, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's this lovely piece about how, like, this team, it doesn't have a lot of notoriety, a lot of, even though in the Arab world, soccer and World Cup soccer is incredibly mm-hmm. popular— women's teams, for all the reasons you might imagine, aren't as prominent and don't get as much attention. And now they've got a really good team and it's inspiring all these little girls and, and you know, bringing a lot of national pride. And it, once they hit that global stage, it's probably going to bring even more. But what caught my attention in the AP's write-up of this is they get into the details of how Morocco got the team to World Cup level to qualify for the World Cup. And you can guess what it is. It's money. They literally spent (laughs) money (laughs) intently (laughs) to develop a pipeline of talent to start more youth leagues and more youth teams to pay players to make sure that they were able to get infrastructure and spaces to play and all this other stuff. And it's a model of what it takes to actually elevate women's sports. And it reminded me of sort of how the U.S. women's national team made such a big Mm -hmm. statement and Mm -hmm. action when it came to pay equality, right? Because they're big online big court case. And now you have the women's team in Morocco pushing its own you know, forward movement on women's rights and women's issues in their own way. And I think that, uh, I, I mean, you know, you just love to see it. That's all. You just love yeah, to see it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You totally do. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. That made me smile. And I will yeah. be cheering for the women's U.S. women's national team, but I think I'm also going to be cheering for Morocco. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. That's it for us today. We are going to be back tomorrow with our weekly deep dive. This week, we are going to be digging into the world of fast fashion, which some of us love to hate. Um, It turns out that in addition to sort of the environmental consequences, the human rights consequences, there is also a lot of health concerns in the industry in terms of what we are physically putting on our bodies and, Mm. you know, many, many other ethical concerns. Anywho, journalist and sustainable fashion expert Alden Wicker is going to tell us all about it. Until then, as always, if you've got a question, a comment, a suggestion, anything at all really that's on your mind, leave us a voicemail, 508-UB-SMART, or email us, makemesmart at marketplace.org. We'll get both ways. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's program was engineered by Juan Carlos Torado. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter, and our intern is Nilo Shabandi. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts at Marketplace Global Headquarters. Francesca Levy is the executive director of that whole shop. By, there's, by the way, there's candy in the drawer of my desk if you want some. Oh, I, I will definitely go look. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.